You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on the sermon series entitled, Light, Experiencing Christ in the Psalms. That last song was a a great reminder regarding who Jesus really is. And throughout history, men and women have been blinded by unbelief, especially when it comes to Jesus. And we've tended to categorize him with other men. You know, very influential, very wise, great rabbi, etc., etc. But Jesus is so much more than that. And one of the areas that I think is so stunning is the kingship of Christ and his eternality and the majesty of him. I mean, he is the Son of God. He is, the, he is God incarnate when he came as that baby in Bethlehem. That was an amazing moment, but it doesn't define all of who Jesus is. Because Colossians tells us very clearly that Jesus is the king of the entire universe. And one day, with a mighty sweep of his hand, he will conquer all evil. All evil. And so we as believers have incredible hope. This is the side of Jesus that we see in the Psalms. We see this majestic Messiah who will come to conquer. The baby really is a conquering king. And the reason that matters to you and me is because as we move through our lives, not only do we have that eternal assurance that Jesus will always be the king, and that as adopted children, we will reign alongside of him, But as we move through our lives and face these issues that come up day after day and the problems and the struggles, we know that our conquering king has been there and already has victory. And so that's hopeful for you and me. So today we're going to learn to find hope in that amazing baby that is the conquering king. So take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn today to the book of Psalm, and it's going to be Psalm 2 in the Psalms. You can just page right there. It's page 448 if you want to use the Bible that we have for you in the rack in front of you, or you can download the Ridgewood app and you can use that as well. Psalm 2, and we're not going to read verses 1 through 3, but it helps set up where we're going in this psalm this morning. Verses 1 through 3 express David's amazement, at the ludicrous plan that has been devised by pagan kings to overthrow him, and then because David is a type of Christ to overthrow the Lord. Some of the phrasing in 1 through 3, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against the anointed, meaning Messiah. David is thinking, Given the grand and kingly nature of Christ, what a foolish, foolish course these people are on. Because no one can defeat Jesus. No one can defeat you and me when we walk with Jesus. He is the conquering king. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at David's argument in the psalm 
for the kingship of Christ and this immense nature of Jesus that sometimes we miss at Christmas time because we're focused on the nativity, which is amazing in itself. If you've ever been to Israel and you visited Bethlehem and you've, you've driven from Jer- the old city of Jerusalem to Bethlehem and you've just imagined the hillsides there where the shepherds were visited by angels, it's a stunning thought. But there's more to Jesus than that one moment. So David's going to make his argument. And the first thing he's going to talk about is he's going to tell us that Jesus is enthroned in heaven. He is in that throne room. And what we need to understand is that heaven is a real place. It's not just a state of mind. It's not whatever we want it to be. And Jesus is the king there. So if we look at verses 4 through 6, the psalmist is going to, Go in that direction and retort the foolish plans of the enemy. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so that phrase, he who sits, I like it better in the NIV. It's he who is enthroned in the heaven laughs. That's a statement to help us understand that these plans are foolishness to God because of the nature of Jesus Christ. And not only is it foolishness, but any attempt by his enemies to overthrow him will be met with burning wrath. And so God isn't fooling around. Now, that term Zion is referred to, referred to 40 times in the Psalms. And Zion was originally a Canaanite city that was conquered by David. That name then stuck for the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at the Holy Hill, that is the Temple Mount now where the Dome of the Rock stands, the Holy Hill. And what, these, what he's saying here is those who opposed David would succumb to his wrath. And then because David is a type or a forecast of Christ, whoever opposed Jesus would succumb to his wrath because Jesus is a conquering king. And that's amazing. So you have nothing to fear. You can live your life and you can just follow Jesus and you don't have to wonder if evil's going to win the day because it will not when you submit to and put your faith in this baby who is a conquering king. So now what I want you to do is I want you to flip over to Psalm 110 as David continues his argument here. Go to Psalm 110, just page back a few pages. One day I'm going to preach on Psalm 119. It has how many verses, Susie? About a, know, a lot. So just appreciate the fact you're only having to do two psalms. Psalm 110. And you can find this in your Bible in the pew rack in page 509. And here's another aspect of what someone we know as baby Jesus. Part of his amazing kingship is his priestly character. He is a priest. And he is a forever priest. And what David is going to tell us now is, hey, this is a king that's enthroned in heaven. And there he is, a forever priest and king. Jesus is a priest. Look at 110, 1 through 4. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power 
in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the, do, the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's a key phrase, and we're going to unpack that. This conquering king rules with compassionate power, and he is a forever priest. Now, this psalm, Psalm 110, is what is called a prophetic psalm because it is addressed to a psalmist who then relays that oracle to us, and David is the author. And the amazing thing about this, in the case of this prophecy, is that David sees Jesus as a priest, but he's far beyond the human line of priests. As you know, in the Old Testament, God developed a priestly line through Aaron, and so that's the family or the line of priests. That is not a royal line. Jesus is a royal priest. He is a king, and so he's far beyond that. So he is a priest in the order of this strange character, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes on the scene in Genesis 14, and he confuses scholars because Melchizedek was a priest before there were any priests. He's likely the king of Salem, which is now Jerusalem. And the reason that this is important is because what, what David is saying is that this priest cannot fit into any human constructs. He's a priest in his own order. He, he's by himself. There is no one like him. But he is a priest. And he's a kingly priest. And it's, it's just like at Christmas time when we, we believe that Jesus was, was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was then not given inherited sin that we struggle with because he skipped the line. He was conceived of holiness, the Holy Spirit. He is a priest outside of human beings. He's different. He's in his own order. And so you can be encouraged that the kingly priest is with you all of the time. You are never alone. And I know sometimes at Christmas, it feels like you're alone. Sometimes Christmas is the loneliest time. Even when you're in a crowded store, you can just feel totally alone, sitting at church while everybody else seems to be celebrating. And you're hurting inside, and you feel absolutely alone. But you're not alone. Because the kingly priest is always with you. Did you know that Jesus prays for you? The Bible's very clear on this, that you are being prayed for by Messiah at this moment. The kingly priest is lifting you up to the Father. To me, that's an amazing thought. As I struggle to grapple with the fact that I'm even loved by Jesus, and then I realize that he's praying for me. What an amazing gift that is. The kingly priest is praying for you. You're never outside of his care. You're always protected. And you can have victory through the kingly priest. But you can't have victory by clenching your fist and saying, I'm going to do this better. You have victory by submission to this amazing person. It happens through power of the king. And you get that power by submitting to him. And so we see David making this argument here. And then we see the truth clearly in Psalm 110. If you look back again at verses 1 and 2, you see again just this 
this incredible idea that David is putting forth that this is a victorious king forever. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. What is he saying here? He's saying that Jesus, as he's building his argument for his kingship, will never, ever be defeated. He will gain final victory. One day, all of this evil, all of this struggle, all of the pain of life will be over, and Jesus will gain final victory. Described here as a heavenly conversation that David heard between the Lord, Yahweh, the Father, and David's Lord, the Messiah. And the verb says here is often used to depict an oracle or a revelation. Remember, this is a prophetic psalm. And so this is an oracle that David is hearing. And Jesus, the Messiah, is seated at the right hand of the Father in this amazing place of authority and power. And at that time, the time of the consummation of the end times, the Father will send Jesus to defeat his enemies. And the footstool is this idea of complete conquest. The scepter is his power to rule. Jesus is the king. There is no other king. He will rule forever. Not only is he enthroned in heaven, not only is he a priest, not only is he victorious, but he will rule. And he'll rule in a way that we don't often think of Jesus. And here's the point the psalmist makes too, and this is kind of hard for us sometimes as Christians. He's going to crush his enemies. There's going to be nothing left. Now, I know the baby's cute in the manger, and we go, that, oh, that baby couldn't hurt a fly. This baby is the king of the universe, and he's going to have victory. And I don't say this to, to make him out to be some kind of a villain. I'm saying this to encourage you, because you don't have to worry about taking vengeance. You don't have to worry about trying to right every wrong, because Jesus is going to do that. That's his thing. So if you look at 5 through 7 in 110, we see this. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. That's not very good Baptist wording. We don't talk about shattering kings. We don't talk about leaving corpses by the side of the road, but Jesus will defeat his enemies to the point where there will be nothing left. And that's a great hope to you and me, isn't it? Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. He will shatter. He will crush kings. He will judge nations. That idea of drinking from the brook along the way is a figurative way of saying he's going to renew his strength. And the lifting up his head is final exhortation. Jesus Christ will crush his enemies. So there will be no hope for any person, any nation, any religious system that opposes Jesus. Remember back in that first psalm we read today, David said just that, how foolish it is to plot to overthrow the king. Sometimes it feels like things are spiraling out of control. And we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? When I read the news, it's all bad news. When, when, when people talk to me, they call me, they text me, it's always bad news. Everything's going, you know, everything's going downhill. Listen, you don't have to worry about that. 
Because Jesus is going to defeat the enemies. All the people that scoff at you for your faith, you don't have to take vengeance. You can pray for them. You can want them to be saved because Jesus will deal with the justice aspect of that. So when you're being scoffed at by academics or the media or actors and entertainers are are making fun of the faith or, or friends that make fun of you, just remember that they will answer to Jesus. They will answer to Christ. He will have final victory. You don't have to take vengeance. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to take sides. You don't have to throw Facebook posts back at people. Let Jesus do that. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. He knows what to do. I was talking to my rabbi friend on the day that the shooting happened in Pittsburgh, and we were just emailing back and forth, and I told him how sorry I was, and we both just decided it's going to be okay because God knows what to do. And, and that's, what, that's what David is saying here. The world feels like it's spiraling out of control, but it's not because the conquering king has it all in his hands. Remember in Colossians 1, we've talked about this, that he holds all things together. And so when the end times come, he'll then do what needs to be done. And the Psalms are great for confidence. If you, if you want to have confidence, start reading some Psalms because they provide incredible confidence for children of the conquering king. Start by Psalm 27. I'll just list a few of them here. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you're like me, you, you, you become afraid of men, of what they think of you. You become afraid of saying the wrong thing. You become just afraid. Why? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Isn't that beautiful? Psalm 55, another great reminder. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. You don't have to carry every burden. And I know that this is confusing at times because Christians do die. Christians do get martyred. Christians do struggle. Christians have poverty. And what he's saying here is you're never out of his care. Remember what Jesus said. Be worried about the, the one who can and kill your soul because he, he can only take your body, but he can't take your soul. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. Psalm 46, another great one. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Don't ever forget that. And then back to Psalm 2 again, the one that we looked at before. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the point of all this is that you are safe in the arms of the conquering king. There is nothing that can defeat Jesus. Listen, if, you're, if you are on the road of being a disciple of Jesus, you can walk in total confidence because the one that walks before you is the king of the universe. I, I, I often think of this as, you know, it's hard for us to relate to kings because we, we don't really have that here in America. We've got people who think that they're kings, but we don't really have kings. But can you imagine, just for a moment, you have the most powerful person in the kingdom, and he said, why don't you just walk behind me? You probably wouldn't be afraid. You'd probably feel a sense of honor. 
And the same goes for Ridgewood Church. If, if we just walk with Christ, if we just follow him, if we just move out on the mission that he's commanded us to go on, which is to make disciples, and in our case, to reach our community for Christ, then we don't have to do it in fear. We don't have to do it in trembling. We can do it in confidence. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to take some risks. We may fail at times. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't move out and do it because we're with the conquering king. You know, you talk about church planting, and I often say this. I'll have some pastors come up and go like, you know, man, we, had, we, just, had to, we just had to close the plant. We really feel really bad. I go, hey, wait a minute. Do you know that you could plant perfectly and, and one out of every two church plants fail? It doesn't mean you shouldn't be planting churches. And so sometimes we, we, we tremble and we go like, well, what if we make a mistake? What? No, we're following the king. We're following the king. I want you to be encouraged by that this morning. Eternal, a priest, enthroned forever, striking down his enemies. And so as we learn all about this, maybe, maybe just now it's time for you to humble yourself before this conquering king. Maybe it's time. Maybe you've held out too long. Maybe you've said to yourself, I don't really need any of that stuff. Some of you have seen the, the excellent show on A&E that Leah Remini's hosts with Mike Rinder about Scientology, Scientology, the a aftermath. And recently they did a program that was similar to that, but it was about Jehovah Witnesses. And it was about the Jehovah Witness construct and how that process worked. Jehovah Witnesses are the ones that come to your door and they're very nice. But it's a sad construct, because here's what these people are taught. They're taught that you have to do things perfectly right in order to earn a limited space in heaven to escape Armageddon. And so all of these people are wondering over and over again, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I going to get there? I have to do more. And that guilt literally ruins their lives. That's not the gospel. And I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is predicated on the fact that you aren't going to do everything right. In fact, you don't have the ability within yourself to do everything right. The gospel is about redemption, it's about grace, and it's about power that comes only through Christ. And so as you've learned about this king, let me ask you this question this morning. Have you ever asked Jesus into your life? Have you ever asked Jesus to be in control of your life? Did you know that if you ask for forgiveness of any sin you've ever committed, that you can be forgiven right now? 1 John 1, 1 through, or 8 and 9, tell us that. They, the Bible says that Jesus will forgive you of all unrighteousness just for the asking. Did you know that right now, by giving control of your life over to Jesus, that you can have eternal life. John 3.16 makes that very clear. And here's the amazing thing about that. Sometimes we think of life as being in two parts. We think of this life, and then we kind of go through a tunnel or something, and we're into the next life. No, it's one eternal life. Jesus said very clearly that if you follow me, you will never die. And you have that available to you by submitting yourself to this king. Did you know that when Jesus returns and does this conquering and defeats evil, that all of his adopted children will reign with him in glory? 
Revelation 20 is amazing. It tells us that the saints will reign right along with Christ. And the beautiful thing about being a son or, son or daughter of God, and I was just studying for a sermon a couple of weeks and just kind of relishing this, is that you have all the rights of a biological child. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the biological child. So in the immense grace of God, when you come into relationship with Jesus, you will have all of the inheritance that Jesus is getting because you are attached to him. He literally cannot go into heaven without you attached to him. But you can have that today. And all that happens when you're willing to give yourself to this king. Now, you have a choice. You can gut it out. You can say, I can do this. I can, I can earn my way. But the problem with that is the Bible says we have a sin problem, and I have a sin problem. And so, like a Jehovah Witness, you'll come up short, and you'll inevitably get discouraged, and it isn't going to work because that sin problem needs to be dealt with. Or you can say, I do want to follow Jesus. I know that he can forgive my sin. I know that he went to the cross and paid for those sins. And I can have brand new life when you invite him to be your Lord and Savior. And you can have that right now. So all this talk about the conquering king, it's all true. But it's meaningless unless you're willing to take that step of faith and walk into a relationship with him so you can experience all that he has for you. So I wonder if you would just bow your heads in place. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to come into relationship with this amazing king. I want to give you a chance to, if you've never really even thought about this, to, to consider Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been a believer a long time. Maybe these words will reignite something in you so that your adoration for Christ will grow. But with your eyes closed, I'm just going to say a prayer. And when I pause, just if you're interested in becoming a child of God, just say the prayer silently to yourself. And if you mean it, you can become a child of God today. So let me begin. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came to earth to minister. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose again and will rule forever. So today, will you please forgive me for my sin? I trust that you can forgive me for my sin. Jesus, will you come and take control of my life? And may I be your disciple forever. Amen. If you said that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to tell someone. Maybe it's someone you came with. Maybe you write that on a card and put it confidentially in the box. Or you can come and talk to one of us here that we can pray for you. But it's the most important decision you're ever going to make. And that's why we're doing what we're doing at Ridgewood Church. That's why we're on mission. That's why we think it's important to try to get into our community. That's why it's important for us to try to get the church healthy in all areas, including its facilities. And so that brings me to 
the number for Illuminate. And I'm really excited about this number. And I'm really excited that we can attach it to ministry because it's not about building some kind of a kingdom. It's about furthering the kingdom of God. And so I just want to say first that I'm really thankful for the journey that we've been on so far. One thing I've really enjoyed is getting together and meeting many of you one-on-one. And I haven't had a chance to do that before. And I so much appreciate your hospitality. I appreciate the fact that you as a congregation have moved through this process together. And I know there have been questions, and I know there's always some disagreements, but you've walked in unity, and I so much appreciate that. I'm thankful for our staff and their flexibility and their professionalism through kind of this busy time that we've had, and I'm thankful for our board. Our board is prayerful. They're godly, and I'm thankful for them. And I know that I've learned a lot about God through this, and I'm sure in the next two years, I'm going to learn a lot more about God. Usually it's more about how, my, how I relate to God, and I look forward to learning more. So you might remember our primary goal throughout this entire Illuminate journey has been 100% participation. We truly sought and prayed and continue to pray that absolutely everyone at Ridgewood Church would play a role in Illuminate. So the first number I want to share with you is just first-time givers to Illuminate. These are people who have never given to Ridgewood before, and this is their first gift, and it comes through Illuminate to Ridgewood Church. And that number is 15 households, brand-new givers. That is, I see you're really excited by that. I can tell you that's an amazing number of new, brand-new givers. Thank you. Thank you very much. The first service, man, they couldn't move their hands. They were still shoveling their driveways, I think, or something. And if you do the, if you do the math, the average household in America is about three people, and so that's 40 to 50 people that are involved now in giving. The next number I want to share with you is the total number of givers so far to illuminate, and that represents adult and student commitments. And again, this is householder. You can use that term. I don't like to use giving units. You don't like it. Because you're not a unit, you're actually a person. But we have 136 giving households so far that are in on Illuminate. That's another amazing number, and I'm excited about that. So listen, these are great numbers, and we still have more time. And some of you can jump in, even jump in today. And you can, some of you can change your number if you'd like, but we're still on this journey. And so... Before I give you the number, there's something I really want to praise God for. You know, we had Commitment Sunday. On that one Sunday alone, we took in over a million dollars in pledges on that one Sunday alone. That's amazing. That's a gift of God. So before I give you the number, just remember, we have a budget of about $1.1 million. And so if, through the graciousness of God and the generation of his people, or the generosity of his people, that we would expect $2.2 million to come in normally over a two-year period. But I do want to share that number, but I want some help. So is there anybody back there that can help me share this number? Denise? We're got, here, we're you here. You some helpers? I've All right. got the oh, best good. helpers. This is going to be great. Come on. Come on in, friends. we got some good helpers here. This is going to be awesome. All right. Okay. 
up you go, up you go. You, you should That's probably line them up. up. Yep, they, they know, they have been practicing, Pastor Paul. They've been well, practicing. Well, maybe, maybe not practicing super well. Come I on back. I hope they did better than back. the adults did in the first okay. service. <laughs> come on back, Miss Anna. Come on back, Olivia. Right here where Kirby is. Right. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, up here, guys. All right, up here. so we're going we're gonna to okay. get this number figured out here. Now, do you okay. have them in? Do you have them in the right order, right? Well, here's hoping. All right, well, let's, here's hoping. let's give it a first try. Why don't you okay, friends, uh, on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's see what you got. Oh, hey. Okay, let's see. We can do this. Braden, come Denise, down here. there's a lot of come zeros there. I know, there are a ton of zeros. Come on down this over. way, buddy. Yeah. You stand right by. No, Olivia, you stay put. Yeah. I'm gonna have you stay up there, Braden. You go up here and you this lead is why the charge. We pay the big money right here. I know. I'm telling you, it's I'm worth every penny. We're gonna okay, start. Okay. That still doesn't really look boom, quite right. Boom. No. You know, I think one of the main no. problems, Denise. Yeah. I think one of the main issues we have is we don't have the. I think we're missing a number, maybe. You think? Maybe. Well. Why don't you try to move them into into positions? Let's see. see if we, Let me see. Well, you may have forgot. You may, you may have How forgotten. about we try you over here, Coley? Should we try you right here? And then, Anna, you come over here. Yeah. Perfect. Let's try that. How's that looking? But we still Something's got, still not we right. We still got more than Something a comma. Something is still not right. It, oh, hey, oh. all right, all right. Thanks this, for this showing, may help us Maggie. Out. Thanks for showing up. All right, Maggie. All right, so why don't you, let's see what your number is. A four. So that comes out to $4 million. It's 700 Wow. Come on, you guys. Come on. That's God. Way to go, Come you on. guys. That's God doing that. That's God doing that. Wow. God Fantastic. Did it. God did it. Way to go, guys. God did it. Woo. So this number represents over $3 million in hard pledges, and we've included what we would expect to take in, in tithe from those who haven't pledged yet and a projection of that. So that comes to be about $4 million to work with. That is an amazing gift from God. Mm. And we're not done yet. That's the most exciting thing. So, hey, thank you all for sharing that with us. Thanks for being with us this morning. Okay, 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 you guys, come on. You guys can come back anytime. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.